So today we are finishing up a series we've been doing for the last five weeks called the Bible Reading Reset. And so the reason for this series is to two reasons. One is thinking about the way that the Bible is one of the primary ways we grow in our relationship with God. God is the source of life, and He has revealed Himself to us. He has shown Himself to us, and one of the primary ways is through our Bible. And so we need to learn to read our Bible a little bit better. We realize that sometimes we struggle to read it. I know I do sometimes. Or we don't read it as often as we'd like. Or maybe it's a little bit difficult. The series is also a way to prepare us for our upcoming series called Messiah, which we've been talking about and looking at the whole Bible. But so I want to recap the series that we've been doing right now. One is it started with this idea that God is life and the Bible helps us know God. Our second message talked about the Bible is a story and how that story leads to Jesus. And Jesus is the central part of the story. Now that doesn't mean that the Father and the Holy Spirit are secondary actors and they don't matter at all. But we see the story kind of summed up in Jesus and the way that the Father and the Spirit interact together within it. We also talked about the necessity to read big and read in context, to read large chunks of the Bible, and to read it and understand the historical context, the cultural context, and all these things can help us read and read in different ways. So this week, we're going to be talking about reading in community and the value of that. Now, I want to make a few kind of qualifying statements as we begin about our previous sermon and about this one. And I want to think about it, begin just with the illustration or the analogy of dieting and food or nutrition. So a number of years ago, as I kind of got back into running and in endurance races, I started reading up more, listening more, and trying to learn and understand a little bit more about nutrition. And now if you've ever gone down that rabbit hole, if you've ever tried to learn anything about nutrition, you realize there are thousands and thousands of different ideas about what you should eat and how much you should eat and when you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. And no shortage of ideas on that. And I by no means claim to be a nutritional expert. I'm not. Don't come to me for nutrition advice, please. I can give you some. Might not be good advice, though. But I've learned this over time. And this is the way I understand it is that when I've looked at nutritionists who are doctors and when they look at scientific and peer-reviewed studies, one of the consistent things I see is that a requirement for some sort of balance within the diet. Now, there are variations on that, and so there are these macro about, we talk about proteins and carbs and fats, and there will be variations in the percentages, how much of those three things you should intake, but all of them will tell you you need some of those and all of those to live. So I remember when I was younger, there was a popular diet called the grapefruit diet, which is I think you just basically ate grapefruit. Now, grapefruit's good for you. It's got lots of good stuff in it. But there are certain things it doesn't have in it. There are other foods. Think of leafy greens like broccoli and spinach. It's got lots of vitamins in it. It's got fiber. It's got antioxidants in it. But it doesn't have any protein. There are so there, which is an essential building block for your muscles. And so there are ways we need to balance out the things that we eat. And the other thing I've learned about nutrition is what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another person. Sometimes the solutions are, well, if you just eat this, I ate this and I lost 15 pounds and I have all this more energy and stuff. Well, we all have different metabolisms. We're all shaped differently. We all have different genetics. So how does this relate to our Bible? 
because our Bible we think of as nutrition for our soul. And so there's a couple words, ideas that come up with it. The book of Psalms talks about meditating on the Word of God, and that Hebrew word is hagach. And so hagach is also a word that's used to describe a dog gnawing on its bone or a lion chewing on bones. And so there's this idea of the Bible, God's Word becomes food for us. In Deuteronomy 8, chapter 8, verse 3, it says this, He humbled you, that's God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This idea that God's Word, His talking to us in the primary way is through our Bibles becomes food for us. It's the way we live and we grow. Or Paul in his letter to the Corinthians says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. This picture of the food we get, the spiritual food, is something that helps us grow. And so as we take in God's Word it's metabolized inside of us and becomes those acts of faith, becomes deeds of love. But in the same way that we need to eat a balanced diet of food, we need a balanced diet of Scripture. Now, there's no verse I can point you to that, but based on my years of experience, of years of reading and thousands of years of tradition, people have realized that that's what we need to do, that we can't do it in any one way. And so this Bible reading reset is a way to kind of refocus us because over time, we've developed particular habits of reading. One of those is we focused on little bits and chunks. The development of chapters and verses have caused us to read little tiny bits. And so we are encouraging in this series to read big. We also read alone too much. And so today's message is about reading together. Now, does that mean we should never read alone? No. Does it mean we should never read small passages? No. There's value in sometimes maybe taking a verse or a short passage and meditating on that passage for several days or maybe a week or even a month. But if that's all we ever do, if all we ever do is read tiny little bits of the Bible, we'll miss things. And so what we're trying to encourage you to say, here, let's balance out our diet of God's food, of God's word. And begin to read big. And today we're talking about reading in community because our habit, and I know when I first got serious about following Jesus, I was told what I needed to do was I needed to have a quiet time together. How many of you were told like, oh, you got to have a quiet time, which means what? You sit, it's you, the Holy Spirit, and your hot coffee or hot tea or whatever you drink and, and sit alone with your Bible and take it in. And there's value in that. But there are some things that are missed, and so we want to look at some things that we miss when we do that. And so we heard from the Gospel of Luke this story about Jesus. And it said, he went to Nazareth, that is, Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. Notice that. This was Jesus' habit. It wasn't something he did once in a while, when there were holidays, or but regularly he went to the synagogue. And so... First, we ask, well, what in the world is the synagogue? Why would he go there? Synagogue in the Jewish life of the first century served many purposes. In some sense, it was like the town hall. I mean, there were weddings there. There were parties there. There were lots of different activities that took place there. But the primary activities 
that took place there were prayer and the reading of Scripture. And so the people would gather several times a week to recite the prayers of the day. And they also would do Scripture readings. They would read from the Scripture. They would pull out the scrolls and they would read from the Torah, from the prophets, and they would read these things together. And then oftentimes someone would get up and share about what that was. And it wasn't always the one single person. They didn't have what we would call a pastor, but they would gather different people. So like in the book of Acts, it says, after reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, that is some of the apostles saying, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. It was just a matter of here are these people in town and they said, hey, we've read the scripture together. We've read from the law and the prophets. Now come up and, and share a little bit about that. So there was this idea that reading the Scripture publicly, that gathering together to hear the Word of God as a people, as a community, was important. Paul makes that point in 1 Timothy 4. He's writing, Paul, the apostle, is writing to his, um, someone he's mentoring. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. So here he again, he's pointing to this necessity of... So, one of the primary ways that people in the first century got to know God's Word was public reading. Well, there were a couple of reasons for that. One is that not everyone had a copy of their Bible. Scrolls were expensive to produce, and so very, very few people had their own copies of the Scripture. Additionally, a lot of people weren't literate. There was a low literacy rate, and I've seen different numbers from probably only 10 to 25% at the most of people in the ancient, in that time, could read. So there was some practical reasons that public reading was the way that it was done. And so what I'm saying is, it wasn't the exclusive way. There were certainly people who read by, on their own, but it was one of the primary ways. In, in ways, in some ways, that was shaped by the culture and by the technology, it was shaped by the technology of scrolls, which couldn't be produced. It was shaped by the culture, which was an oral culture, which enjoyed hearing and listening to stories. It was shaped by a culture where people couldn't read. And today, we, in the same way, have been shaped by culture and technology because there was a significant event that happened in the year 1440. And all of you are saying, oh, I know what happened then, right? Johannes Gutenberg, do you remember, invented or kind of the printing press. It enabled the ability to begin mass producing. And so by 14, the mid-1450s, Bibles could be printed on a printing press. And so what did that mean? More people had access to a Bible. And as translations came along and as literacy rates improved, more and more people could have a Bible in their own homes. More and more people could have access to it. They didn't have to go to a synagogue or to the church at that point to hear the Scripture read to them because now they could read on their own. And they had a Bible they could read. Well, what did that mean? More private reading. And it began to be encouraged. And now to the point where some 600 years after Gutenberg, it's become in many of our areas the primary way we read Scripture. And sometimes almost the exclusive way we read Scripture is on our own. We sit quietly and we have it and we read. And so what today's message is is an invitation to return to a more communal reading, to reading together. Now, again, it's not the only way to read, nor am I saying that these descriptions of the Bible mean that's the way we should do it. 
They also walked everywhere. We're not saying, well, the Bible says walk. Well, Jesus walked here, and so I'm telling you, you all have to walk. That was his way because it was part of his culture, but there's value in doing it, and there are benefits. And so I want to talk about some of those benefits. And that's one of the reasons we're doing Immerse. And so this study over the next eight weeks, we're going to be reading together, reading large chunks, reading without the chapters and verses, reading in community and discussing in community what it means like. So instead of me standing up here and telling you all what it means, you're gathering together. Or even our typical Bible study mode where you have a book and you follow this little book and they have questions and they have the questions and they guide you through to get you in. If you've ever sat in a Bible study, sometimes you know the leader will read the question out of a discussion guide, or maybe the leader will ask a question, and one of your questions is, oh, I'm not sure if I should answer that because I don't know if I have the right answer or not. And so one of the things I like about the Immerse Bible experiences, the way is the questions are things like, what did you notice this week? What stood out to you? Now, do you think there's a right or wrong answer to that? And so the encouragement then is to begin to hear from people. And so a couple reasons the value of communal reading. One is that if you're showing up with a bunch of other people, and so we've got five different studies, um, reading groups set up, I'll call them, five different reading groups set up. We encourage you, we didn't have sign-up sheets, but encourage you to participate in one of those. And if none of those five work for you, let me know, and we'll try and find you, create a time for another one. One of the things that these reading groups can do for us is keep us accountable. And in the broad sense of when you find a little Bible reading plan and say, I'm going to read through the Bible, and you got your little check boxes, and if you don't read, it doesn't happen. But if you're showing up to a group and you're going to have a discussion about it, there's a little bit of incentive to have done the reading. And so it can help us kind of maintain and develop that habit of reading. The second thing that can happen is in listening or even reading it in a different format, we hear it differently. And so I talked about audio Bibles. And even maybe in the reading groups, what you might want to do is read a section of it because I noticed that even over the course of the week, as I'm studying a scripture passage for the week, I can sit down and the person can stand up and read that scripture passage on Sunday morning and all of a sudden I hear something I hadn't noticed before. Because hearing is a different way of doing it. And so even sometimes I've done it is as hard as it is, sometimes I've read a scripture passage, I've recorded it for myself on my phone, and then I listen to myself read it back. Now, that's painful sometimes. If you know what it's like, because sometimes, how many of you like listening to your own voice in a recording? It's not a very, but to hear it is a different experience than reading it. The other thing that reading by yourself is, it, or I'll say it this way, reading alone can lead to individualistic interpretation. So if we're reading it by ourselves, everything becomes about me. But the Bible wasn't written to individuals, it was written to communities. So I like the way Scott McKnight said it. He says, wherever you go in the Bible, it is the same. The work of God is to form a community in which the will of God is done and through which one finds both union with God and communion with others for the good of others and the world. The work of God is to form a community. And so as we read the Bible, it's designed to be read in community because the Bible is written to a group of people. And so reading as a group, learning as a group, takes it away from individualistic interpretation where everything is about me, me, me. 
The other thing, the last thing that reading and community does is it helps us overcome our biases. The truth is we all have biases. We all have lenses through which we read the Scripture. And so if you've grown up in church, you have heard different pastors over time. Maybe you have different authors that you read, or maybe you listen to podcasts or watch YouTube videos or listen to other pastors. Those, have, those women and men who have taught you have all shaped you to read the Bible in a particular different way. If you grew up in a particular tradition, if you grew up in the Covenant Church, or maybe you grew up in a Baptist Church, or you grew up in a Methodist Church, or an Assemblies of God Church, those things have all shaped you, and it maybe even developed a theology through which then you begin to read the Scripture, and you try and fit all that into it. The truth is, we, none of us come with a blank slate. We like to think, oh, I'll just sit with the Bible, and I'll just read the Bible pure and plain as it is. It doesn't work that way. We all come with different ideas, and so gathering together as a group of people and hearing different things helps us see different points of view. As you sit with men and women, men hear it differently than women hear it. People who are rich hear it differently than people who are poor. People of color hear it differently than people who are white. People who are older hear it different than younger. And so it's always great to sit with a mixed group of people and realize that they're hearing it differently. Does it change what there is? No. But we realize there are different points of view, different understandings. Our Bible has four different stories about Jesus, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four different stories. They're all a different point of view. Does that make any of them wrong? No. In the same way, when we sit and we hear a story, it's valuable to hear different points of view. And reading alone can deprive us of that collective wisdom to realize that I'm missing something out, that I'm missing out what other people are hearing and the way they're seeing it because as I come to it, I have my own biases, I have my own prejudices, I have my own systems, I have my own lenses, and I come to it with that, and somebody else will say, well, what about this? And you think, oh, I never saw it that way before. I never understood it. Does that mean every interpretation is correct? No. But there's value in hearing those different ideas. And those diverse ideas can keep us from falling into a rut or into groupthink. So Eugene Peterson talks, he says this, he says, sects are composed of men and women who reinforce their basic selfism by banding together with others who are pursuing similar brands of selfism. In other words, we tend to like be around people who think and know like us. But what if we gather in a Bible study in a reading group, and there are people who are all different from us. It can help us to see the blind spots. That means we have to be humble. We have to come and we have to be prayerful as we go in, and we have to expect as we gather as a community read that the Spirit will speak through the others around us. It means we have to pay attention to how others have understood it and heard it. And not instantly jump and say, well, that's not right. And often it's not right because that's not how we think it goes. But to hear what it means and to understand what it is. And so this is what some of the goals of Messiah are. So we're going to do this for about five or six minutes here together. Because I keep thinking about this and I'm not sure how this works, but the way we often do teaching in church is not a very effective way to do it. It's one person, it's me standing up, me talking, you listening. 
Most of us don't learn real well that way. It also breeds a sense of like, well, we have to rely on the pastor because he's the expert in this. But what if instead we had found ways to engage in community? So I even imagine in the ancient synagogue, in the times of Jesus, the church was set up, or the, the synagogue, the building was set up differently. Many of the synagogues they found and located from archaeological evidence, the speaker sat at the center, or stood at the center, and the seats were arranged facing each other in a square. And so the reader would read, and then there would be engagement between the people. So we're going to take just a few minutes and do a little bit of that. I'm not going to move to the center. We're not going to rearrange the pews because that would take a really long time. <laughs> but what I want to read to you is I want to read to you a passage of Scripture. And we're going to read the book of 2 John, the entire letter to 2 John. So this is a letter written to the people. And then just take a few minutes and kind of say, what did you hear? How did it affect you? The translation I'm going to use is called the Y'all version. So this actually is on, on the internet, a uh, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary in Texas, who's also a computer programmer and stuff, created this, and so he went through and he did a little bit of his own translating, but then took all the times where the word you, which in English, unfortunately, can mean either you individually or you as a group, and he took that and wherever it was a you plural, he has translated it as y'all. And the idea being that as we read the scriptures, oftentimes we hear this, and again, that tendency as an individual is to hear that and say, oh, you, that means me. When in fact, the writer, the speaker often means y'all. So this is the letter, 2 John. It says, the elder, dear chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not I only, but also all those who know the truth, because of the truth which remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly because I have found some of your children walking in truth, just as we have been commanded by the Father. Now I beg you, dear lady, not as if I were writing a new commandment, but one which we had from the beginning that we love one another. This is love that we should walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as y'all heard from the beginning, that y'all should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who don't confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. This person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Y'all watch out so that y'all don't lose what we have worked for, but that y'all may receive a full reward. Whoever goes on ahead and doesn't remain in the teaching of Christ doesn't have God. Whoever remains in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to y'all and doesn't bring this teaching, don't receive them into y'all's house or welcome them. For anyone who welcomes them participates in their evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to y'all, I don't use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to y'all and speak face to face so that our joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. So what did you hear? Or anything that stood out as you were listening to that, what came to attention? Y'all, yeah. You were stuck on the y'all, right? And it's hard to say y'all without slipping into a southern accent, isn't it? Anything else? If you were hearing that, if you were sitting in a congregation, which is what, and that letter was read to you, did anything resonate? Anything? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, one one is like, yeah, he, he wants to come, right? And so that tells you something, doesn't it? You're hearing that. Anything else? I have never heard the rules of not allowing a certain person into your home Okay, so not allowing, yeah. And so here in the, into y'all's house, and probably not their physical, but probably more even the, the sanctuary, but like not allowing certain people in, right? Okay, so you're moving into kind of application of like, oh, okay, what are we letting in? Very good. Yeah, so Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that, that idea there. Yeah. Okay. And again, it was hard because we were just kind of jumping into this, but the value of saying, can we hear from each other and maybe hear different perspectives because we all hear it a little bit differently. And this one may not be the best. I picked this one because it's a relatively short, it was an entire letter. Not just a passage, but an entire... And so this is what a community would have heard. And so the chances are that whoever read this letter, they would have read it. And then the community would have had a chance to say, what are we hearing? And, and even gathering in the Spirit and say, okay, what is the Spirit saying to us through this letter? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there are questions, too. There are questions that pop up, right? Who's this chosen lady? And her children. Yeah, and her children, you know. Yeah. Yeah, all feminine. So these pictures of it. So is it talking about the church as the bride? And what does that mean? Yeah. You know, when I said, it's like, you know, this is love that we should walk according to his commandments. You know, I heard that and I thought, well, wait a minute. When I think of love, that's not what I think. I don't think of love as walking by God's commands, but that was God's command to love. And so this language of like, oh, this is what it is, you know. And so we begin to hear this, and so I, I just wanted us to think about what that would look like and how it would experience it in a group as we hear the Word of God together, as we experience it, and as the Spirit works through it. Because what we're doing is we're trusting that God has given us this Word, that He worked through His Holy Spirit to inspire the words that are written, but that that same Holy Spirit that inspired those words is working in and among us as we share it, as we talk so that he continues to speak through it today. It's not simply paid words written on a page thousands of years ago, but words that come alive today through the Spirit working in us and helping us to see and to be transformed by these words. So I invite you really to, to as much as you can, participate. If you can be a part of a reading group, be a part of a reading group, or at least with a few other people, have discussions about this and hear different perspectives. To not simply... Allow your Bible reading to be all you by yourself. And that can be discussions in group, but it can also be finding and reading and watching things from different perspectives. So if you have favorites, so we have a subscription through our church to this um, Right Now Media, and you can look on there, and there's a variety of teachers, and maybe you stay like, well, I'm used to, I really like this person. Find somebody else, maybe from a different tradition, to hear words from different perspectives and different traditions. You know, maybe if you're used to hearing men preach, and most of us are, you know, listen to some women preaching. 
Read some books by women. Read some books by African Americans. Read some books by Native Americans. Read some books by people from different countries. Read some that are new and some that are old. Some that are contemporary. It's great we could see that the Christian publishing industry publishes hundreds of books every year, but there are also books that have stood the test of time. And to read those and to hear those different perspectives. God has given us an incredible gift in His Word. He's spoken to us. And so my hope, my prayer is that over these coming weeks, we begin to hear it in new ways and that it begins to shape and transform us. So as we read together as a community, let's hear what God has to say to us through His Word. Amen.